Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Preaching a baptism of repentance, the whole Judean country went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Thank you, Annie. I know some of us are feeling a bit warm in here this morning. Turn the air con up, um, because when I arrived, it felt warm in here. So um, hopefully it'll cool down a little bit soon. Um, But it's good to have you here with us. It's great to see you here with us, Beck. I got a text from um, Kirsten this morning. Sorry, just indulging him. Conversation with Beck. Um, Beck lives down. Sorry, is that, is that better? Beck lives down Bunbury, and um, I've got a text from my girls. They're actually down that way, having breakfast in Dunsborough. So you're up here, and they're down there. Um, a number of people away for the long weekend, which is great. If uh, had an opportunity to do that, but it's good to have you with us, and it's good to have other people here with us who are visiting. Um, my name's Mark. I'm the pastor here, and it's great to have you here with us this morning. We're continuing with our um, series on being and making disciples, and today we're going to talk about baptism. We're going to look at Jesus' baptism in the Gospel of Mark. When you look at all four of the Gospels, there's lots and lots of overlap. They tell lots and lots of uh, the same stories, but we we don't all get the same story. They don't all tell exactly the same stories. So, for example, they don't all tell the story of Jesus' birth. But all four Gospels do talk about Jesus' baptism. So it was obviously something really, really important to each one of the Gospel writers. Each of the Gospels starts off in a different way. So John starts his Gospel talking about the pre-existent word. Jesus is, this, is the pre-existent word. Matthew and Luke, they both start talking about Jesus' birth. But Mark starts with Jesus' baptism. So the way he places Jesus' baptism right at the start of his gospel tells us something important. It highlights just how significant this was for Mark and it kind of frames up much of the rest of the gospel as it unfolds. Now, before we start looking at our passage for for today, I want you to imagine that somebody really famous, somebody that you would love love to come over to your place for afternoon tea. Picture the most famous person. If you are having trouble picking a famous person or somebody you'd love to have afternoon tea with, let's just say the Queen, because that's, that's the level I'm, I'm aiming it at, okay? You, you want someone like the Queen, the calibre of the Queen, to come to your house. Now, 
For those of you who are not royalists, you might just thumb your nose at the, the thought of having the Queen over, but let's just go with the Queen, okay? Now, if you had the Queen coming over to your house this afternoon at, say, 2.30, um, you'd probably rush home and have a quick whip around the house and tidy things up a little bit. If you are anything like us, there'll probably still be um, breakfast dishes on the sink that need to be washed. Uh, you might want to get your vacuum cleaner out. You might want to even give the lawn a quick mow because when the Queen rocks up with her entourage, first impressions are incredibly important. On the way home, you might even stop off at T2 and pick up some high-quality English breakfast tea, because apparently that's what the Queen drinks, is high-quality English breakfast tea. And you might even throw some scones in the oven so that when the Queen arrives up, she sees this nicely mowed lawn. As she's approaching your house, she can smell this freshly brewed English breakfast tea and scones, that smell of scones just wafting out the front door. On the way home, I can just picture some of us saying, hurry up, we need to get home. She's about, she's, she's, she's arriving really soon. We need to get started. She's almost there. She's almost there. In fact, if some of you knew that the Queen was really coming over, you might politely slip out and miss the rest of the sermon. And I'd probably forgive some of you for doing that. Um, but this is, this is effectively what John the Baptist is doing in this story. He's saying, hey, I've got some great news. He is on the way. He's on the way. He's coming. And you need to get yourselves ready. He's coming and you need to get yourself ready. John is described by Mark as, as the voice calling in the wilderness. He's described in verse 6 as somebody, he's, he's a fairly wild kind of character. He lives out in the wilderness. He's dressed in camel's hair. He's got a belt tied around his waist. And that's similar to the description of Elijah in the book of Kings. He was a prophet and he was described in similar terms to how John is described. Mark also tells us he, he's out in the wilderness eating wild honey and locusts. I love the honey. If you haven't had any Rob Mayering's honey, man, he does some really good honey. He's got beehives um, and um, his honey is just to die for. But locusts, I'm not sure about locusts. Apparently, they're incredibly nutritious, but I'm not, I'm not convinced. But Mark, in, in describing John in this way, he portrays John as a prophet. He's a prophet, like he's almost like a new Elijah, and he's come to prepare the way. Get ready, get ready, get yourselves ready. He's almost here. He's just about to arrive. And he's out in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness right throughout the Old Testament was a really significant place. It was a significant place for the nation of Israel. When they were delivered from bondage in Egypt, God led them into the wilderness. At Mount Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He entered into a covenant relationship with them as his people in the wilderness. He met with them regularly in the wilderness. They experienced his provision. They experienced his protection all in the wilderness. Now they're under Roman rule. Israel is now under Roman rule. And hope has just been completely sapped. And here's one in the wilderness. He's coming, he's on the way, he's almost here. And there's this kind of hopefulness that starts to rise up within the nation of Israel. Hopefulness for a new beginning. In verse four, 
where we read that John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he says to them, repent and be baptized. Effectively, he's saying, hey guys, you need to clean up your house. You need to get ready because he is coming. I just want us to note a few things about John's preaching um, in terms of baptism. It helps to shape our understanding today of baptism and what it means and the significance. So two things. Firstly, John preached it was necessary for people to be baptised. What does baptism actually look like? The actual word in Greek is helpful. It's instructive. The word baptizo means to plunge, to dip or to immerse. So for example, if a ship sinks and it's completely submerged in water, it could be said that that ship has been baptised. If you take a shirt and you dip it in a bucket of dye and you want to dye the whole shirt, it could be said that the shirt has been baptised, it's been plunged or immersed or dipped in water. John was baptising people in a river, in the River Jordan. And so the likelihood is that people were completely immersed or plunged under the water. When Jesus was baptised in verse 10, we'll come to that in, in a moment, Verse 10 says, as he was coming up out of the water, as he was coming up out of the water. So the language that's used to describe Jesus' own baptism suggests that he was immersed beneath the water. Now, during this time period, Jews had a whole different range of purification ceremonies that they used to, to cleanse themselves, to, to keep themselves holy. So they'd, they'd wash their hands in certain ways. Some of them would actually dunk themselves in, in water almost like a self-baptism kind of deal. And it's, it symbolised a spiritual cleansing. But John's baptism also signified cleansing and washing from sin. But it wasn't a self-administered baptism. This wasn't something that you could do for yourself. Somebody else did it to you. So baptism, John's baptism that, that he inaugurates was something that was done to you. And there's some symbolism in that for us. Not only is it about the person who's administering the baptism to you, but more importantly, it's about the work of the spirit that's being done in your life. So this idea of being baptised by another is symbolic of us being washed and regenerated by another, the work of the Spirit. Secondly, John preached it was necessary for people to repent. And the word here means basically just a change of direction. So if I'm facing in this direction, repentance means I turn myself around and I face myself in another direction. It's about reorienting yourself. It's about reorienting yourself away from sin and reorienting yourself in that direction, facing towards God. Baptism symbolises that. And then we're told that as a person repents, they're forgiven of sin. Now, there was a really significant response to John's baptism, and we read that in uh, verses 5. People were coming from all, all over the place, and we read in verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So all of these people are flocking around John. They're coming and they're responding to his baptism. People are repenting and people are being baptised. 
People are getting themselves ready for the arrival of the king. They're cleaning up their house. They're, they're responding to John's message. John doesn't know quite what to expect. He doesn't know what's about to unfold. And he's telling, he's telling the crowd in verses 7 and 8, describing himself as inferior. He's describing himself as inferior in comparison with the one who's coming. In fact, John tells us, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. John even describes his baptism of baptising in water as inferior to the baptism that will come because the one who's coming will baptise you in the spirit. No sooner had John got these words out of his mouth and Jesus in verse nine appears on the scene for the first time in this gospel. The ironic thing is here that John's just kind of been putting his baptism down and saying, look, there's one coming who's actually so much greater than I am. And when the one who is greater than John arrives, he says to John, hey, John, I want you to baptise me. He humbles himself. Jesus humbles himself and submits willingly to the baptism of John. Now, you might be wondering why it is that Jesus was baptised. Why was Jesus baptised? He's a son of God and he's baptised. Jesus himself was completely sinless. We read in scripture, Jesus was sinless. So why does he undergo this baptism, which is all about repentance? Why does Jesus do that? Mark doesn't give us a really, defini a, a really definitive explanation, but there's lots and lots of reasons that have been suggested as to why Jesus was baptised. I'm just going to give you a few of those. The first one is that Jesus was identifying with the nation of Israel as they confessed their sin. So all these people are coming and responding and Jesus wants to identify with those people that were responding. Two, Jesus was showing support for John's ministry. So in Jesus being baptised by John, that was an affirmation of John's ministry. The third reason, the third possibility is that it enabled Jesus to just better identify with us as we repent and respond to baptism. And the fourth reason is Jesus was baptised simply to give us an example to follow. As his disciples, he calls us to follow him. Matthew's gospel actually comes um, closer to giving us a fuller explanation, a more explicit reason as to why Jesus was baptised. In Matthew, John initially resists baptising Jesus. So Jesus comes to John to be baptised and initially John says, there's no way I can baptise you, Jesus. You are far greater than me. You should be baptising me. And Jesus in response in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 says this, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. We must carry out all that God requires. So in essence, Jesus' baptism demonstrates his obedience to God and it also enables John to be obedient to God also and to fulfil the ministry that God had prepared for John. Coming back to verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, there's a whole lot of stuff going on at that point. Three things, in fact, happen. And in Jewish thought, each of these things demonstrate that God's kingdom has come, that God's kingdom is coming. So the first thing that happened was that the heavens were torn open. The heavens were torn open. 
This is a theophany. This is God himself appearing on the scene at Jesus' baptism. He's revealing, he's revealing himself to people. The prophet Isaiah talks about the heavens being torn apart and God descending in 64.1 of Isaiah. You can read about that. But the coming of God in this way was something that the nation of Israel had been waiting for and anticipating for a really, really long time. A really long time. This word torn is used in the Old Testament and other Jewish literature to describe really dramatic um, displays of God's power. So, for example, the Red Sea being torn apart, the Red Sea being parted, was a dramatic demonstration of God's power. That's the kind of language that John, that Mark uses here to describe what happened at Jesus' baptism. Mark wants to paint this picture of God displaying his power in this really cataclysmic way because the kingdom has come. This is the one that we have been waiting for. The second thing that happened as Jesus came up out of the water was that the spirit descends on Jesus. We read that Jesus saw the spirit descending on him like a dove. The spirit's descent on Jesus in this way um, fulfills prophetic expectation. So in Isaiah 61, Isaiah talks about the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon him. In Old Testament thought, the, the belief was the one who was endowed and empowered by the spirit was the one that we've been waiting for. And people standing there, seeing the spirit descend, again, symbolic that the kingdom has come. The third thing that happened when Jesus comes up out of the water is that a voice from heaven speaks to Jesus. A voice from heaven speaks to Jesus. God the Father speaks directly to his son. He says to Jesus, you are my son. You are my son. And I love you and I am well pleased with you. Jesus has just submitted himself to John's baptism. He's displayed humility. He's demonstrated his obedience to his father in this act of being baptised. And God tells him, well done, son. Well done, son. Well done, I'm well pleased. Mark leaves absolutely no doubt as to who this person is, as to who Jesus is. The heavens have been torn open. The spirit has descended on Jesus and God's voice has declared to Jesus, you're my son, I love you. I love you, and he delights in his son. Some people have suggested that at this point, this language of you are my son was God the Father adopting Jesus. So up until this point, he wasn't God's son. It's called adoptionism. But Mark's already told us in verse one, he opened his gospel with the phrase, Jesus, the son of God. So he's already God's son. So this declaration that you are my son and I'm well pleased with you, it doesn't establish a relationship between the father and the son. That relationship is already there. What it does, it reinforces that relationship between the father and the son. And it makes it really clear to everybody else who this one is. It makes it really clear that this is God's own son. And it enables Jesus, it enables Jesus not only to speak and to act for and on behalf of God, it enables him to speak as God, to act 
as God. Not everybody goes around casting out demons, healing people, challenging the very heart of the Jewish belief system in the Pharisees and forgiving sin. These are the things that only God himself can do. In Jesus' baptism, Mark brings together the Trinity. We see God the Father, we see God the Spirit and God the Son. There's this Trinitarian aspect to Jesus' baptism. Father, Son and Spirit are all working together in collaboration on the redemption of mankind. Each one of them plays an incredibly important role in the unveiling and the unfolding of God's divine plan. I suspect that's why all four Gospels put an emphasis on the baptism of Jesus. No sooner had Jesus come up out of the water that we read in verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness where he spent 40 days being tempted. And Mark doesn't really tell us what the temptation of Jesus looked like. But as soon as he was baptised, as soon as he's confirmed as God's son, he's driven out into the wilderness. And on came supernatural resistance and conflict. Supernatural and conflict and resistance from Satan. 40 days. But Jesus comes back from 40 days of temptation in the wilderness with Satan. And he comes back preaching. He comes back full of gusto. And he's preaching that the kingdom of God has come near. So in spite of the resistance from Satan, God's kingdom's arrived. And it's about to start taking hold in people's lives, taking a grip on people's lives. God's rule and reign was here to stay now. And there was nothing that Satan or his minions could do to stop the advancement of God's kingdom. Okay, so that's just the text. Let's bring a few key thoughts together. What are some takeaways for us? And I'm going to give you these takeaways, keeping in mind we are a, we're a Baptist church. I've got my Baptist lenses on. Um, so I'm going to share some of my thoughts as, as a Baptist pastor um, on, on this passage. So the first takeaway for us is that I think baptism is definitely by immersion. Jesus himself was fully immersed. He was baptised in a river and he came up out of the water. The word baptizo itself demonstrates to us that it was immersion, it was dipping, it was plunging. So that's why we as Baptists practise fully dunking people under the water because we think that's what Jesus did and that's what the word baptizo means. The second takeaway, we practice believer's baptism. So when a person's at that stage of their faith journey where they're ready to profess for themselves that Jesus is king, that I want to follow Jesus as his disciple, we should be baptised. So when somebody comes to that point of saying, I want to reorient my life from doing things my own way and pursuing sin to pursuing God and following Jesus, at that point, somebody's made, ready to make a profession of faith and should be baptised. The third thing is that baptism symbolises purification and washing away of sin. The water itself doesn't have any magical uh, properties or anything like that. The, the immersion in water just symbolises that sin's washed away by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Paul says this, For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The fourth takeaway is that baptism symbolises death and resurrection. As we go under the water, it symbolises a dying to self, a reorientation. As we come up out of the water, it symbolises that we're raised to new life. We're baptised into Christ, as it were. We share in his death, we share in his resurrection. And Paul touches on this in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism symbolises our death, but also our resurrection. Fifth, as we've seen, baptism was something that Jesus himself did. And as his followers, he calls us to follow his example. In fact, Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, to be baptised. He tells his disciples, go and make disciples, teach them and baptise them. And so as a result of that command that Jesus gave to his first disciples, baptism was something that was widely practised in the early church and it has been ever since. So in view of all of that, how might we respond today? What might your next step be. If you're sitting there thinking, Mark, how is this relevant to me? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you some ideas as to how you might respond. If you have not yet been baptised, if you have not yet been baptised, perhaps your most logical next step is to consider being baptised. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have repented and if you have reoriented your life away from sin and towards Jesus, and you've made that profession of faith, then perhaps consider being baptised. If that's something that, that's stirring in you and something that you've been thinking about, I'd love to chat with you about that. Perhaps another next step, if you have been baptised, or even if you haven't, in light of the Great Commission in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, each of us are called to make disciples, make disciples, and as a part of the discipling journey that we do with other people, we teach them and we bring them to a place of um, expressing a desire to be baptised themselves. So that's something we can all do. Make disciples, teach them and bring them to a place where they say, yeah, I think I'd like to be baptised. Maybe you've been baptised, but you're currently in a place where just life seems really hard and spiritually you are in a place of constantly struggling. I think as we look back at our baptism, it's something that gives us hope. It gives us hope that we're people of the Spirit. We're people of the Spirit. Because remember, it's not just about being dunked in water. There's no spiritual properties in the water, but it symbolises that we've been filled with the Spirit in the same way that Jesus, the Spirit came upon him. The Spirit comes upon us and baptism symbolises the Spirit coming upon us. And he's the one who empowers us. If life's hard for you, then look to the Spirit for help, for empowering, for encouragement as you follow Jesus. You might feel like you are out in the wilderness. Life just totally sucks and you just feel like you've been wandering around in the desert for, for years as, as, I look at, as I look at John, as I look at the Old Testament, God continually meets his people 
in the wilderness. This, this was a place that becomes sacred place. John was out in the wilderness proclaiming that the kingdom of God is coming. This is a significant place. This is a place where we can meet with God in, in ways that we can't when life is easy. This is a place where we can experience God's provision and his protection. This is a place where we can do business with God in a really special way. So if you're feeling in that, in that place like you're in the wilderness, take hope because God has a history of meeting his people in the wilderness. Finally, it might be that for some of us, we're just struggling with a particular sin in our life. You know, there's something that's just got a hold of us and it has had for a long time. Baptism is a reminder that we need to be people of repentance. People of repentance. Maybe God's been nudging you for a little while to, to reorient your life, to, to, to orient your life in a, in a different way. Turn from sin towards God. Maybe God's prompting you in a completely different way, something totally different. I'd encourage you, however it might be, that God is prompting you or nudging you to take your next step. Wrestle with him about that and, and have the courage to, to take that next step. Whatever your next step might be, whether it's being baptised, whether it's trying to make disciples in a way that you haven't perhaps pursued before, whether it's trying to just meet with him in the wilderness, take a step towards, take a step towards God. He's come. He's come. He's here with us. He's here with you. And he wants to be in deep relationship with each one of us. And baptism reminds us of that. It reminds us that the king has come, that the king is here, and that the king empowers us for all of life. Can I invite you to just pray with me? Father, we thank you for your amazing plan of redemption. Thank you that Father, Son, and Spirit participated in this incredible redemption plan that, you, that, that you've drawn us into so that we can have life in its fullness, life for us as you designed it. You've made it possible for us to experience life more fully. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you were baptised. We thank you for the rich symbolism that we see in your baptism. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you wash us, that you cleanse us from sin, that you empower us and that you enable us for life. We ask that as we go out this week as people of the Spirit, that we would go as those who are enabled and empowered in every facet of our lives. Amen.